Yeah, I, something like that. You can say, Bruto u neska. How about that? Can you try that? <laughs> okay, hey, let's give Wendell a hand. That was awesome. That's great. We don't sing those songs much anymore, do we? I didn't have to open the hymn book. I just want you to know that. So, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, our, my my kids don't know any. Did you guys know this? You know, good. All right, great. Okay, we're going to start out as usual with a little bit of review this morning. So, in Czech, we have a statement that says "opakovanie matka modrosti," and basically what that means is review is the mother of wisdom. So that's one of the reasons why we keep going back, because just a, a, a short look back actually helps refresh us and keep it there. So we're going to look all the way back, and I wonder for a Milk and Honey Award, if anyone can think back to our first day when we talked about um, self-doubt, and Moses had four kinds of self-doubts. This is way back. This is Sunday. Can anyone remember the four kinds of self-doubt, the things that he said when God said, you need to head to the promised land? Okay, Okay, right? He said, who am I? Just keep going. You're, oh, your husband is so disappointed right now. <laughs> Ability doubt, which he said, um, that, was, uh, that was actually the third one, where he said, I can't talk, and I haven't gotten any better since then. Okay. Authority doubt, okay, Jim's on too. So where he said, they won't listen to me. Nameless doubt, Jim. All right, good job. And and I don't know if you remember the uh, identity doubt. It's eye correction. We've got to correct the eye and let God say I and not us say who am I? It's who is he? And uh, authority doubt. Do you remember he had this little exercise? Surrender and obedience gives you authority limping our hands and then taking what he puts into it and then we said ability doubt do you remember what the answer to that was just in time resourcing he says i can just create your resources as you go and the nameless doubt what was the answer to that you just got to get going yeah you're not going to answer your doubt by waiting around you've got to just going get going okay uh, then we talked about windy paths, and I gave you seven benefits of the windy road. You don't have to remember all of them, but see if you can, can someone do four of the seven benefits of the windy path. Does anyone want to try this? Or make them up? Yeah, okay, good, okay. Robin, go for it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, if it helps to remember those pictures. So what was, do you remember what that one was? Right, right. So when we get down the road, then we can see, we see the next place from it. So okay, that was one. Any, keep going, Robin. Keep going. Okay, we pick up resources. So you remember they got the, all those that jewelry on the way that they wouldn't have gotten. Okay. So what else? That jewelry is really good, <laughs> particularly. That's right. Okay, keep keep going. You got two. You got two. Uh, there was also Passover that happened on the way. There was another picture that we did of that windy road, and actually it was in China. Do you remember that that one? And there was a we showed. Yeah, it decreases the grade. Right, because if it was straight. Right, right. We'd never make it. We got three. Okay, uh, keep going. So. Someone said to you about, well, we talked about Passover, and that was a, 
destinations on the way to the destination that they actually picked up something. Okay, any others? There was one right at the end. He said, if I would have led you straight to Egypt, something would have happened. So I said, led, led you the other way so that, okay, yeah, she helped you. But that's the winding road makes it difficult to go back. Yeah, so if it was, all right, good job. We got the Malkabar, great. Yeah. And so you sometimes say, well, if I would have known that it was 20 steps, I wouldn't have ever gotten into it. But he gets us into it, and then we make a couple turns, and then we're committed, and we have to keep going. And that's what happened happened with Israel. So those were, uh, how many of them did we get? What, which one did we miss? The windy path builds, trains us, builds strength, right? So they needed to exercise their faith not just once, but many times. And every time they exercise their faith, their faith got stronger. So sometimes we have many opportunities to learn a lesson because we wouldn't learn it with just one try. Okay, and then uh, and then we had the grumbling. You did such a good job yesterday with grumbling and complaining that we're just going to skip that one. We're going to get on to the third one. So you nailed them. That was great. And uh, yesterday we talked about rebellion and we talked about bad attitudes towards leadership. We said, when you're rebelling, it's hard to spot because it doesn't feel like rebellion to you. And that's why we wanted to do an anatomy of rebellion. Say, this is how it unfolds. So you can figure out, oh, I may be rebelling right now. And there were five kind of steps as they went. They ended up in actually full rebellion. But do you remember, we started with, uh, with Aaron and Miriam. And okay, we're gonna try on this one. Okay, go for it, Dan. Questioning, right. And the questioning was designed to do what? Undermine authority, right. So it's just, it, we're just saying what's true, right? Okay, and then, and then we, okay, we break into camps. It's us against the leaders, right? Instead of us for the leaders trying to solve this problem. Okay, great, then what happens? That's right, that's the last one, right? Yeah, and that was, that was still the last one, which is good. But th th then they said, you have gone too far, Moses. Judgment. They're authoritative declaring what's right. That was wrong, what they did. And they don't know. But they're just authoritative declaring what's right. And then uh, there's one more. They, they say, um, why have, assuming ill intent, right? Why have you put yourself above all these other people? And often we start exegeting the motives of our leaders and just assuming that the whole reason they're doing this is ill intent and the last one was okay and it's and they you feel totally justified in fact if we don't disobey we're going to die so ah we'll, we'll give it to you we'll give it to you dan all right good job okay just saying just saying i did notice that yeah you, you're right i'm just saying yeah, I mean, somebody else, I didn't see him either. Just, just wondering, I, just concerned about this place I love. <laughs> yeah, it works, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we are now in, why don't we bring this next one up, Connie? We're in numbers 13 and 14, so we go back actually between those rebellions this is between the first rebellion, Miriam's rebellion, and uh, the rebellion of Korah. And uh, we're going to be talking about faith failure. 
this is a this is actually a difficult passage. This is, and this is um, this is Numbers thirteen and fourteen on the banks of the of the Jordan. Come and join the crowd at Faith Failure Saloon. Turn left. Join us here. We don't judge. We're all we're all in this together. Numbers 13, the, the Lord said to Moses, send some men out to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. And then he goes on and says he's going to do a couple from each tribe. And we'll skip ahead to verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kinds of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first grapes. So they went out and they explored. And now let's ch uh, jump on to verse 26 when they come back. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh. In the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Okay, now we're standing at a, we've, we've been talking about these forks in the road, how God's trying to take us to the land of milk and honey, and we can get lost on our way there. We can get sidetracked and never get to that destination that God wants. We are at a very crucial fork right now. We're, we're at a fork. They don't realize how crucial this fourth fork is, and this is the fork of faith. And often when we reach faith forks, we don't realize how significant they are. They feel to us like just a choice between, or am I going to believe today or, or not? But we, we, we can't comprehend sometimes the vast difference between the road of faith and the road of doubt. They lead very, very different places. For them, the road of faith led to the promised land. The road of doubt led to 40 years of wandering in the desert. They had no idea what a large fork this was. So, and, and it just all hinges on, on faith. Why would the faith fork be so significant? Why would it lead such significantly different places? Well, we know that, that faith is, is very, very, very important to God. In fact, there's a lot of things that are outside of our control, but faith is one of the few things that is in our control. It's accessible to us all the time. And Hebrews 11.6, do you know what Hebrews 11.6 says? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. It doesn't say it's going to be difficult to please God. It doesn't say it's going to be harder to please God. It says it will be impossible. This faith fork, if you go down the left side, it actually is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You remember 1 Corinthians 13, 13? It says, when everything else is gone, these three remain. It says the greatest is love, but do you remember what the three, three are? Faith hope and love. So faith is one of the three things that just remains. Uh, in 1 Peter 1, 7, it talks about trials. If you want to write these down, I said Hebrews 11, 6, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and 1 Peter 1, 7. 
he talks about trials, and he says these, uh, uh, these have come so that your faith of what? Greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may prove genuine and result in praise, honor, and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's 1 Peter 1, 7. He says that this is actually more precious than gold and more lasting than gold. And if you look into the Gospels, you find over and over again that, uh, that people either experienced the power of Christ or did not based on a very simple thing, their faith. He said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Uh, he said he couldn't do many miracles in his hometown. Why? Because of their lack of faith. In fact, if you look at, at what he rebuked his disciples for, there was nothing he rebuked his disciples more often for than for a lack of faith. He was often much more understanding about other things, but five times he rebukes them for a lack of faith. Peter, when he gets out of the boat, and there's just many times. And at the end, uh, in Matthew 17, 20, when he comes back to his disciples, he says he appeared to the, uh, actually, Matthew 17, 20, or Mark 16, 14. Mark 16, 14, it says, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith, and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he, had, after he had risen. Rebuked them for their lack of faith. Now, sometimes when we encounter a lack of faith in our life, we kind of treat it like, um, like, like something that has come upon us, like a cold or the flu, and we go, I'm having a difficult time with faith right now. I'm, uh, wait a couple days and I'll get over it, you know, or yeah, everyone kind of catches that disease. But I already mentioned this, but it's important to realize that faith is one of the few things that God holds us 100% accountable to. Sometimes people say um, faith is a gift. And there is a spiritual gift of faith in 1 Corinthians 12. There are some people who have the ability to believe God for things that others couldn't. But faith itself is something that we're always, we're always held accountable to. Uh, and in Ephesians, when it says you've been saved by faith, this is a gift. The gift is salvation. The gift is not faith. We're, we're actually, faith is always possible. Faith is possible if you're in prison. It's possible if you're under pressure. And so, uh, so if you're in a situation and you don't have faith, you actually have the ability to choose faith in that spot. And, um, and you will be held accountable whether you do or not. And why do you think faith is so important to God? It's all about relationship? Okay, say something more about that. Okay. So the, a lack of faith actually disconnects us from God. So we're then relying on ourselves, and, and we aren't connected to him. And, it's, and we lose that relational connection, yeah. Every, everything starts right there. Yeah. It starts with faith. So you don't even get on the road if, if you don't believe. Yeah. Any, any other reason why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great memory. Damn, the way to go with going back to the upside-down kingdom. Awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. And we talked about repentance and faith, how that, that, that step. And then, and then we do, and then we're in a totally different place, which is just crazy. 
Yeah. To not have faith has an indication we doubt the character of God. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Now, what will fight against faith? Um, your circumstances will fight against faith. You're going to look, and everything you see will fight against faith. And what you feel will fight against faith. So there will be many times where what God says will not feel true. And what God says will not appear to be true. And that's why in Hebrews 11, 6, he, uh, in Hebrews 11, 1, he, he says faith is the confidence in what's unseen. Uh, the, the, uh, sub, I've got this memorized actually in a couple versions. I get them mixed up. Faith is the substance of things unseen, that, um, the essence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. But then uh, NIV also has a great translation on this. Does somebody have? Faith is the confidence. And someone have that? Should be sure of what we hope for and confident of what we do and certain we do not see. But what that basically says is that I'm going to have to not respond to what I feel and not respond to what I see and count as more real what God says, that, that what God says is true no matter what I see and, and what I feel. And that's this, this choice that there, are we going to respond to what we see and feel or continue to believe what God says even though it's in conflict with what we see and feel? And because this, this faith failure is so important, it's really, it's really significant for us to try to catch what are the signs of faith failure and how can we start to catch them in our own lives so that we, we catch them before we begin to head down that road. And that's what we'll be looking at here back in the, the book of Numbers. They're standing at a crucial fork in the road. They can't comprehend the future significance of their present actions. And here's the first sign of faith failure. So when you begin to see this in your life, you go, I'm, my faith is starting to fail. This is actually very dangerous. And this, the first sign of faith failure is but theology. But theology. Let me explain this. Look, look at what they say. They say, uh, we went to this land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It does. God, you said that it would flow with milk and honey, and it does. And then there's, there's a word. There's a key word right here. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Ammonites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So he says, yeah, you told us about the, the, the milk and honey, but you didn't tell us about the Jebusites and the Ammonites and all these different people. And basically, in, in but theology, what God didn't tell me cancels out what he did. You follow me on that? He told us about this, but he didn't tell us about that. And what we've, the new information we've learned cancels what he said. But... And, and you will find but theology all the time be, because faith is not just about the big decisions we make. It's also about the little steps of obedience every day. Um, I know that God is always with me, but I sure feel alone. I know he says everything will work out for the good, but this is horrible. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I know God is faithful to those who follow him, but he sure doesn't feel like he's faithful today. And whatever happen, what comes after the but cancels what comes before. You follow that? Yeah, he did say that. But I have some new information. 
uh, when he said that, I didn't know this, and now that I know this, I have a hard time believing that what, what he said was true. Now, if you think about this logically, when God gave his promise, he knew the rest of the sentence. He, he, God's not saying, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> You're right, the Amalekites live there. Oh, shoot. Oh, descendants of, oh, yeah, I didn't see that when I gave you the land. Oh, what are we going to do about those, those giants? So we forget that when God gives us a part of the information, he knows all of the information. So the part of information he gives us is not canceled by the new information we've discovered. But we feel like it has. What comes after the but cancels what he didn't tell us, cancels what he did. You follow that? And people do this all the time. They don't realize that this is faith failure. In fact, that they may even think they're, they're giving assent to the promises of God when they're actually canceling them by what they're saying. I know that God said this. I know that he promised this. I know this, but. And then that cancels it. Have you ever been in situations where you find out new information and that new information cancels, cancels the promises of God? I can remember when we started working with young people in Germany, uh, we realized that spring break was a very dangerous time for a teenager on military bases. We were working with teenagers on military bases there uh, because they all went down to the coast of Spain and there were no rules there and it was kind of like Fort Lauderdale times 10 for high schoolers. So this, this was just horrible. And they'd come back have, having all slept with each other and been drunk all week and everything like this. So we said, we've got to do something to counteract this. And we put together a spring break trip. And we said, we're not just going to go to the coast of Spain. We're going to go to an island off the coast of Spain. And we found a hotel on the island of Ibiza, which is one of the Balearic Islands off the coast of Spain. We said, come join us. We've got this whole hotel. And, it, and people just, they, they loved it. We had 600 high school students sign up for this. So, but now we think of the logistical challenge of this. This is back before cell phones, back before internet, all those kinds of things. And we had to load 600 young people on buses in Germany and travel over 24 hours through three countries, feed them along the way, and then get on a, a ferry and cross over to this island where we had this, this hotel. So getting them there was, was just one of the, the big challenges. So I remember loading them all up and we had this chain of... Actually, actually, it was 12 buses. It was 50 in a bus. 12 tour buses going through three countries. And then we, we, you, know, you do a bathroom stop. Oh, my, that's a, that's a bad thing. And then, then we'd separate them out, and then you'd, you'd lose some of them. You'd get miscoordinated. In fact, one, one time we, we, we ordered 600 hamburgers from Burger King in Barcelona, Spain, and that was it filled a whole van with hamburgers and then drove out and joined the buses. It was, it was crazy. We were in our mid-20s then, too. It was absolutely crazy absolutely crazy but the second the second or third year we did this we're, we're driving down and in the bus that i'm in goes to get the food and they didn't have it ready and then they came back out and all the other other buses missed the food and we're running to try to get in touch with them and uh we finally reached them at the at the ferry half the group's gone ahead on this other ferry and uh the ferry's waiting for us and and the ferry driver is really nervous it's now night. We've been traveling 24 hours. And uh, so we've got all these cold hamburgers, and we put them on the boat, and we get on the boat, and oh, we settle down for, uh, for just a, a nice three-hour journey across the Mediterranean to this island. And, uh, and this boat captain, he's just like, we've got to get going. We've got to get going. Why? Well, yes, 
we got time, whatever. Well, we pull out of the harbor, and um, it kind of been raining and blowing just a little bit, and all of a sudden we realize, well, it's like really raining and really blowing. Uh, you remember reading in Acts about the Ides of March? Okay, we're in the Ides of March. And we come out of the, the harbor, and I settle down. We've been traveling for 24 hours. I've been just keyed up with adrenaline for being responsible for 600 young people traveling like this. I settle down. We get out of the harbor, and all of a sudden the boat just goes like this, and then goes like this, and then, and it just starts. This is a pretty big boat. It's about 600 people, but it starts just turning like, like this. And all of a sudden, at some points, even waves were hitting the, the windshield. And I went to the back, just stepped out of the door to see what was going on, and realized that the, the waves were higher than the ferry. So these are 30, 35-foot waves. I don't know if you've ever been in an ocean with waves that you know, are as high as the ceiling. So when you're in the trough, that's how it was higher than the boat. And uh, I went, oh my, no wonder the captain was nervous. It's night, the wind is blowing. We come back in, I sit back down, and you can just, you can just hear this boat groan. It'd go up one wave and, and then, and then actually would slap the, heat, the front of the bow, it slapped on, and you'd hear the, 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 the sound in the village. And the whole room would go like this, and, and then like this, and it's dark. And, and then pretty soon there starts to be another sound. You can guess what the other sound was. Because uh, when, when your whole room is going like this in 30-foot waves and you have about 200 young people, you know, you just, just picture this packed room. Well, they start getting sick. And these burgers that we've just eaten are, are, are coming back to haunt us. And uh, so you just start hearing people emptying their stomachs all around you. If you're... Now, you know what it's like when one person does that, but then when there's five, and then when there's 20, and then, okay, are you feeling this with me? 50, pretty soon, it's just this chorus of people. And, and, I, and some people can do it quietly, others not, you know, and they have, the, they just, and they just you vocalize the whole time, so you, you hear every piece as it comes out. So this is this sound is just surrounding me, and um, and the, the the stewards the stewardesses are coming out and they're and they're they're handing out bags and um, and then this is what what happened people were, you know, using the bags and then they'd set them down, and the boat would go, <laughs> and the bag would tip. So now you've got the smell. All right, so you've got the sound and the smell. This Burger King. Oh, my. So I get up to try to help because I'm thinking, I'm in charge of this, this group. What's going to happen? And I start walking around, and pretty soon, I, you know, right there, in the, uh, and I'm on the ground covered with it. And uh, I, I only last about 15 or 20 minutes, and then, and then, and then I start. I start losing my supper too, and I'm thinking, oh, we're going. What are we going to tell all the parents when you know 200 of us go to the bottom of the Mediterranean? I mean, it was it was horrible. Nothing. We're not going to tell them anything. No, we're just going to be home with Jesus. <laughs> we're headed there fast. And so I, I just looked down at my my watch, and first thing is is I was timing myself. It was every 15 minutes that, and and you know you empty, and then your stomach keeps going even though there's nothing there. But I go, okay, three hours. We can make it three hours. We can make it three hours. 
so about two hours into this thing, you know, we're just all just hanging on, just, and I grab one of the stewards, and I say, we're almost there, right, and he just looks at me and laughs, and walks away, and, uh, and I realized that the boat was going like this, and like this, because they couldn't go directly into the waves, they couldn't go sideways, they were having to take an angle, and so we go like this, and then we turn, and then it would start tipping the other direction, and it was three hours, and it was four hours, and it was five hours, and it was seven hours, and it was eight hours, and it was 10 hours, and it was 14 hours before we reached that island. Okay. And I, I personally threw up straight for nine of those hours every 15 minutes, okay? And a lot of the people were too. I mean, we thought we were going down to the bottom of the ocean. So here's this great, amazing event that we're on. We get off, uh, we get off, and then get on these boats, and then this is like when you get in your car after uh, a time at an amusement park, you know? Don't go around any corners, because <laughs> bus, no, excuse me, we got on buses, yeah, excuse me, we got on buses, but you can hardly handle the bus, because you've just, you're just so jittery. Got to the hotel, and the other group had arrived there before us, and, uh, and we found out that they had had just as bad of a ride. They'd thrown up just as long, but the waves had broken out the front windows of their boat, so they actually thought they were going down, too. So we have 600 young people who have just spent two days in travel, an entire night throwing up. And, um, and uh, then we find that a couple of them had gone out to just look at the, at the waves, and two of them had been swept off of a cliff because the waves were so, and we all, we'd almost lost them. So this is how our great retreat is starting. And so I come back in, say, what's the weather report? It's going to rain all week. Okay, so it's cold in this hotel. It's raining. We've just been sick. And I'm, I'm walking down, and, and it's just about, by the time I got there, it was 4 o'clock. We were supposed to start our evening meeting at 7. And I'm walking down the hall. I've still got stuff on my shirt. And I'm just going, what do we do next? And uh, this say this soldier walks by me. His name is Mike. He's, he was from the south, and he was helping with I say, he walks by me. He's just going. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And I look at Mike and I say, Mike, what are you, what are you doing? I'm praising Jesus. I'm just praising Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And I said, Mike, why are you, why are you praising Jesus? He said, because we's going to see some miracles. We's going to see some miracles. I said, Mike, why do you think? We's going to see some miracles. He said, because this situation is so bad that the only way out of it is a miracle. So we's going to see some miracles. We's going to, hallelujah, praise Jesus. We's going to see some miracles. And all of a sudden, I, I, I saw he had a totally different view on it, right? I was thinking, this trip is absolutely ruined. There's no hope. How do we just close it down? He's saying, it's so bad that we're going to start seeing miracles because what happened, what we didn't know doesn't cancel what we did, right? God's with us. All of his promises are true. They're still, they're still there. So, uh, so I go, okay, maybe I go and start the evening meeting. I didn't have time to change my shirt. So I actually led the whole evening meeting with a, a, a shirt that was stiffer than it should have been. And, uh, and then, uh, and then we start kind of scrambling. And, and, uh, but what was interesting, something interesting happened. Have you, have you ever been through something really traumatic with people? Do you know what it does to a group of people? All of a sudden, this group of 600 people, a lot of them non-Christians, we were like family. Like we had survived together. In fact, somebody went down to the town and, and, and designed a T-shirt that said, I survived the Chokin' Bar Ferry. You know, and everybody's... <laughs> 
wearing where I survived the choking bar ferry. I, I said, you did too. We were, we made it. And they're going, how many times did you throw up? Well, I threw up more than you. <laughs> and kind of when you've been through something like that with people, there's no more, there's no more barriers and walls. The other thing was that the sun wasn't shining. And so we were all inside and we had nothing to do. And so we just kind of huddled together with blankets around us and talk. And you know what that does for community? All these barriers are going down. People are coming together. They're talking about real things. They're, they're, they're getting close. And then we get to the evening meetings. They had lots of energy because they hadn't used it up during the day. They were like, yeah, let's be together. This is great. Talking about real specific things. And then the, our speaker, he's going through the week and he's sharing the gospel. And on, on the final night, he says, um, I just want to tell you what's going to happen if you don't put your faith in Christ. There's really only two options. There's heaven. That's where you go when you believe in Jesus. And then there's this other place called hell where you go if you don't. And do you know what hell's like? <laughs> he says, just like that boat ride, but there's no end. And it's true, right? That's what it's like, the boat ride with no end. And everyone was like, oh, that's not where I want to go. <laughs> No way. And we had, uh, we had 80 of those kids put their faith in Christ that night. And as we look back, it was actually the, the most fruitful camp we ever did was that week. Uh, and part of it was we had to switch to a place of faith and say, what we just found out, what we didn't know, that all those things would go wrong, didn't cancel what, what God has promised. He's promised to always be with us. Always, always help us. So, and, but we had to get in a posture of faith, right? Because if you lose that faith posture, you, you just say, wind it up. Nothing's going to happen. Let's just, this is going to be a terrible week. And, and this, is, this is what Caleb did. If you read on in verse 30, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And that's just like that, that soldier Mike, right? We's going to see some miracles, right? Oh, those, those giants that we didn't know about? Well, this is going to be fun because God knew about them when he said we were going to get the land. I wonder what he's going to do. I wonder what miracle he's going to do. We can, we can surely do it. How did he know they could? Well, how did chapter 13 start? The Lord said, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. And so he went back to the promise of God. He said, what, what we've now learned does not counsel the promise of God. Now, what are some of the promises of God that you know about? Because they had this promise, which is great. We can't just make things up. God didn't promise it, wouldn't gonna, it wasn't going to rain. He didn't promise we wouldn't have problems. But what are some of the things he did promise? He never leave you or forsake you. What else did he promise? He'll provide your needs. My God will provide your needs according to his riches and glory. What else? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Great. What else? He's working everything. Not everything is good, but he's working in everything for your good. What else? He'll cancel your sin debt. Wow. He'll, if you do, he'll cancel your sin debt. Great. What else? Things that are impossible with men are possible with God. He'll build his church. 
He'll accomplish his purpose. You know, we have so many promises. What would happen if we would remember the promises and not let them get canceled by the new information we're finding out as we're going through the day? If we would say, if we would say, the Lord is with me and I don't feel well today. Or maybe, what if we turned it around the other way, which is what David often did, is he says, I don't feel well today, but the Lord is with me. And he flipped it, right? And he says, God's promise cancels what I see and what I feel. He'd flip it the other way around. He'd start the other place. So it's raining. It's, it's, it's horrible. None of our plans have, have come, into, come like we thought. But he will never leave us or forsake us. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he's accomplishing his purposes, working for his good. And that's basically what Caleb did. He, he flipped the formula and he let God's but cancel everything else that was happening. But it's so easy to get it the other way around, right? We cancel the promises of God by the new information that we're finding. One of the verses I love is in 2 Corinthians 1, where it says, no matter how many promises there are in Christ, they are all, how many promises God has given? Actually, let's turn and look at this. 2 Corinthians, this is so great. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. That is just awesome. No matter how many promises, they're yes in Christ. So let the promise cancel what you feel and what you see. Flip that phrase the other way. And that's what Caleb is doing. He, he is not giving in to but theology. By the way, if you get nothing else this morning, if you just get that one piece, if you just, just would catch but theology and stop it, you're just going to have a totally different life. You'll, you'll have a lot more milk and honey in your life if you don't give in to, to butt theology if, and if you flip that and let God's promises cancel what you feel and see rather than the other way around. So, verse 31, it goes on. But the men who'd gone up with him, but, there we go, as said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Here's the second thing. Oh, but the land is flowing. Uh, I didn't get all that. Land is flowing with milk and honey. There's, all right. We got that. But here's the second one, the grasshopper syndrome grasshopper syndrome what's the grasshopper syndrome he said we feel like grasshoppers and everyone else sees us that way as well and basically the grasshopper syndrome is we're convinced that God is not limited by anything but our limitations so God is limitless yeah God can do anything oh he's great yeah he did say that he can do that but but um but I have these limits and and we think God is not limited but somehow we think he's He's limited by my limitations. Have you, ever, have you ever felt that? I'm a grasshopper. God can do lots, but he can't do anything through me. 
he's limited by my limitations. And we don't realize he's not limited by my limitations. Have you ever, have you ever had something where you've failed and then are convinced that your failure will block God's ability to redeem the situation because I, I did something wrong? Um, yeah, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, God can do anything, but, but my limitation right there blocked him. He can't work around. My, he's, he's not limited by your limitation. He's not limited by the poor job you did on something or, or, or the thing you missed or, or the mistake you made. He, he's really not limited by that. But we feel that way. We feel like a grasshopper, and we feel like everyone else must see us the same way. So um, how do we get around that? We're, we, we might say, I could share Christ with my neighbors, but I don't know enough. I could trust him today, but I'm not strong enough. I could reach out to others, but I really don't have anything to give. I would love to spend time regularly in the Word, but I'm just not disciplined enough. And in any of these, then the answer is to grow stronger yourself, you know. But, but that actually uh, is not going to be the answer. The answer is in, is in his strength. And, and look at what Caleb says. Uh, go down into verse, actually we're going to skip ahead to 14.9. Because this is what Caleb says. He says, only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. We will swallow them up. So Caleb saw that their, their small size was not a problem for God. The fact that they were, they were small. He says, we're going to swallow them up again because he's uh, trusting. He says, the Lord has gone ahead of us. He says, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What happens when pe- people live this way, when they, when they don't give in to the grasshopper syndrome? I've, I've told you in the past about a really exciting project we did in Czech where we got the opportunity to broadcast on national TV for two full years. Uh, 73 weeks we were able to broadcast on national TV uh, with a viewing of like 150 to 200,000 people every, every show. Amazing opportunity. But we did this for a year, and then they asked us to do another uh, about 40, 40 weeks of broadcasting. We began to prepare it. These shows were expensive. They cost us about fifteen dollars to $20,000 a show to prepare. Uh, they would air them for free. But we're busy preparing these. And then we, we get from uh, Czech television, we get news about when it's going to be broadcast. And they tell us it will be broadcast at, at 10 o'clock on Tuesday mornings. Okay, our target audience are high school students, college students, their students. Where are those people at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning? You know, they're in school. Like... The entire project will not have its, its, who's going to be watching it? And so we wrote them and said, could you put this in a different place? And they said, nope. I mean, this is Czech television. It's owned by the government. It's the national TV broadcasting, and that's the slot we've given you. So we start praying. We feel so small. Like here, there's a couple of us, and there's this huge Czech television backed by this huge government. How in the world are they going to listen to us? And and we just were praying about it. And uh, one of the key leaders on our team, Dushan, says, I think we should go and visit the, the key offices of Czech television and meet with the program director and just appeal directly to her. I said, great, I'll go with you, but you're going to have to do point on this. He said, all right. I said, I'm, I'm coming as prayer support. So I remember the day we got on the train where we live and, and headed the three-hour ride to Prague to meet with the program director of Czech television. And uh, as we're driving along, uh, Dushan, who was my friend, he said, do you have any idea 
who we're meeting. And I said, no. He said, her name is Pani Fritchova, and she has the nickname, the Iron Lady. And uh, then he, he pulled up on the internet a picture of her and spun it around and had me look at it, and she looked scary. I mean, she, she almost didn't look like a woman, just, you know, just gruff, butch haircut, mad. And, and uh, she, he said, she, she's, she's a little scary. So I said, wow, okay. And so I start praying. And, and I said, Dushan, what are you going to say? And, and he said, I, I think I need a little bit of time to prepare. So he's sitting across from me working and finally, finally said, I, I know what I'm going to do. I, I said, what? He said, well, I, I really feel the Lord wants me to start with my testimony. I said, Dushan, are you sure about this? I mean, we don't want to make her mad. We, all we want is the time changed from 10 o'clock till the afternoon. We don't want to, her to think that we're, I don't know, radical, freaky something. She may not understand. He says, no, I think God wants me to start with my testimony. So we uh, get off the train, go to the head of Czech television, walk into this big building, come into this office, and they, they say, why don't you go in this conference room and wait for her? And we come to this conference room, this long table, and we sit there, and we're supposed to meet with her at 10, and 10 o'clock comes, she's not there. 10, 15, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Do so you know what it's like to sit in a big room to wait for some, and wait for someone important? Like you're just sitting there going, what am I going to say? How's this going to go? And then finally she walks in. She walks in. She doesn't even look at us. She walks in and says, sorry, I'm late. What do you want? I lost my voice with laryngitis. She sits down. Doesn't even look at us. <laughs> Talking like this. So Dushan starts and he says, well, as you know, we're doing this television program called Exit 316. And I have a question to ask you about that. But first, I'd like to tell you a story. And I'm going, oh, Dushan. And he said, um, I grew up in a family where my dad was an atheist and my mom was a communist. And, and he said, but for some reason, my mom, for my 16th birthday, gave me a Bible. And she'd never read it, but she thought it belonged to a good education and nobody could get them and she got had one somehow and so she gave it to me and I started reading it and the crazy thing was that as I read it I began to believe that the things that were written in this Bible were true uh, I didn't tell my parents because they'd be mad I didn't tell anyone but I just kept reading it and and saying I think God exists I, I think maybe this is all true and then he said and one day when I was sitting in class uh, and the teacher was talking on evolution and and some kid raised their hand and said, I think God created the world. And everybody in the class laughed at this guy. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, you, you actually believe in God? Because he didn't know anyone who believed in God. And this guy said, I do. And he said, well, I, I do too. I've been reading the Bible. He said, well, you know, there's a group of students who are getting together to study the Bible. Would you like to join us? And uh, some, about three students who just trusted Christ who would come home, halfway home from school every day and go in the basement of a big apartment building and study the Bible every day. And Dushan got pulled into this group. And every day on the way home from school, we'd go down to this basement and study the Word together. No one leading them, just a bunch of students. And then he found out that there was a church in that town and joined it. And he went on, he said, he said that book that the, my mom gave me changed my life, transformed my life. My relationship with Jesus Christ has totally changed my life. And I know there's a lot of young people who don't have the opportunity I did and, and I want them to come and know Jesus like I did and to hear about this book in the Bible. And so that's why we're doing this show. And so I just wanted to tell you that. And, and then I have a request for you. And I'm, I'm watching Dushan as he's talking because uh, she's not responding at all. 
She's looking down. She's writing notes. It doesn't even feel like she's listening. And I'm watching Dushan, and he keeps talking. This is hard to tell your testimony when so much is at stake for such an important person with no response. And I'm watching him, and there's a little bit of, of sweat that starts right here, and then this little you know, drop that comes down, comes down by his chin, then drops off onto the, onto the table. And he keeps going. He keeps going. And he finishes, and she says, she, she, he says, I have a, a question to ask. He says, well, she says, first of all, that's a very interesting story. Kind of like what happened to my daughter. And then she goes on and talks about her daughter who trusted Christ when she was at university. She still doesn't understand this crazy faith that her daughter has. But the exact same thing had happened to her daughter. And she said, she keeps telling me about God. And I don't, there, there must be something there. And so she said, I'll see what I can do to change your show. But she says, I have one piece of advice for you. Don't try to please everybody. If it's Christian, make it Christian. Tell them about God. Base it on the Bible. Don't try to please everyone. Tell them what you need to tell them. Which is really something coming from the, direct, <laughs> the director checked. Don't water it down, basically, she said. And a couple weeks later, we got a letter that had been moved to 5 o'clock in the afternoon and broadcast that whole time through 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Got to answer that prayer, right? Well, Dushan had to exercise faith, right, over and over again. And he had to believe that even though he had no title after his name, he had no position, he didn't have a big office, here's this powerful lady that he's not a grasshopper because God's with him, right? We'll swallow him up. Why? God's with us. He's gone before us. He'll protect us. It doesn't matter. Our limitations are not a limitation to him. Our limitations are not a limitation to him. Uh, several years ago, I was in Florida visiting a friend of mine who works for Campus Crusade and uh, had the opportunity to be in the Campus Crusade headquarters in Orlando, Florida, just about three months after Bill Bright had gone to be with the Lord. And uh, Bill Bright is a hero of mine, a hero of faith. He has stood in faith in, in so many different instances. God's used him like crazy. And, uh, and so I, I was there and I said, is his office still here? And they said, yeah, we haven't changed anything in his office. I said, could I just come, could I look in Bill Bright's office? I was just interested what his office looked like. They said, yeah. So I went up, the door was open, no one else was there. And I walk into this office and it's pretty big, but his desk is over in the corner. There's just an area to sit. Just a small desk over in the corner. So I walk over, I just want to see what's on his desk. And I notice on his desk is a, is a plaque and it's one of those, those old plaques like you see, you know, when it says the, the director or the president, and it's kind of in, engraved in plastic or something like that. It's put on that plaque, you know, kind of an old one. And there's one plaque sitting on his desk. And I went, I wonder what that plaque says. And I went up closer, and this is what was engraved on that plastic piece on the plaque. I am not a grasshopper. That was the one thing that was on Bill Bright's desk. Isn't that interesting? I'm not a grasshopper. And I think it's important for you and I to realize that we're not grasshoppers either, right? And uh, I believe God used him because he was not thinking about his limitations and he wasn't thinking. God is not limited by your limitations. He's not, he's not, limited, by your, he's not limited by your limitations. Can you just remember that? 
Part of faith is believing God is not limited by my limitations. And uh, grasshoppers can swallow giants if God's with them and he's going before them and you're not a grasshopper. You're not a grasshopper. Yeah, it is. It really is exaggeration. Yeah, we, we feel that way. We're grasshoppers. Yeah, and that's not true, right? All this gets distorted by. Well, yeah, so the grasshopper syndrome, but theology, the grasshopper syndrome. And then look in chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is God bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Again, they've they're, they got some future grumbling going on, right? They're, they're convinced that something's going to happen. They're saying it as if it's already happened. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And uh, here's, this is fear frenzy. They whip themselves into a fear frenzy. And if you want to put a blowtorch to fear frenzy, just threaten the family. Look at what they say. They say, our wives and children. And often, uh, when actually when Satan begins to whip up fear in us, he'll whip up fear through our family. Uh, no, it's, it's your, your kids. You know, no, your, your wife. No, your, your family. And, and actually, the crazy thing about this is, is their choice to not believe God was, um, was a significant detriment to their families, weren't they? Uh, I've watched families make courageous decisions of faith to move their entire family overseas and, and watch how it has blessed their children. And I've watched people uh, move all through their life trying to protect their family from the dangers of following God and seeing how it's destroyed their family, right? So, you know, so the risky places, that sometimes it's, it's good for our kids to be in a fight. Like it's good for them to get out on the edge and face some danger. It, 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 but sometimes we get into fear, friends, we've got to protect this and we don't walk that path of, of faith. By the way, I, one of the things that, I'm when I come back to the United States, I, I'll tell you something, like, there's concerns I have, which obviously you would, but one of the concerns I have in, in the United States culture is the emphasis that's put on protecting Christian families rather than engaging them in battle, rather than strengthening them. Because it's all about how do I keep them from anything that might hurt them instead of how do I equip them for a fight? Like, get out there, get in battle, take on the enemy. You know, go, go out with the gospel, get out of place. You know, we need to make sure that, that, our, that nothing happens to our kids. So they're at a place where they're going to cross the Jordan and they're gonna have to fight a bunch of people. And these parents want to protect their kids from the fight. And they actually condemn them to a, a lifetime of going in circles. And so don't protect your kids from the fight. Equip them for the fight. Tell them how big God is. Put a, strap a sword on them and give them a shield of faith and let's go into it. Because the, the fight is actually important for the health of, of, of families. So um, these Christian sub-communities that we create that are totally isolated from the battle and where we, we're not willing to deploy, I think, are not healthy for our family. So that's a little sideline, but you get me going if we get that. So what's this fear friends like? It's in the night. You always get more afraid in the night, right? They're crying and yelling. 
So picture this, nighttime. Then you start hearing everyone else, right? It's irrational. It's accusational. And then look to, um, to Caleb's response. If we go on, we're going to jump on and see his in verse, uh, in, well, we'll continue on verse 4 through 8. They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were with those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly. So they fall down and they tear their clothes. What are those indications of? I fall down, tearing my clothes. What's that? Okay, it's, it can be warning, yeah. What else? Anything else? Why do people just tear their clothes? Grief, right? Falling down. And so you see them actually expressing fear of the Lord. They're not, they're not afraid of the circumstances. They're actually, this is fear of the Lord. No, and they say, no, no, don't do that. Don't rebel against God. Oh, get down on your face, you know. And, and so you see them afraid, and, and many times fear takes us over, and it overcomes the fear that we really should have, which is the, the fear of, I'm really afraid of not following God and not obeying him. Because, like, when I don't follow God and I don't obey him, it's really bad. So I'm really afraid of getting off track and not following God. That's what I'm, I'm afraid of. And, and they're afraid of all these other things. Oh, no, what will happen to us? So, so you see that. They say, don't, no, don't do this. The land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up and then their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. So not succumbing to this fear frenzy is, is just really important. Uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember uh, 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 Denise and uh, Arnie Raymond. They were here some, several times. And I remember a conversation I had with them at Gold Lake in the, um, actually right in the entrance to the dining facility. And uh, Denise had, has, was diagnosed as having, having um, MS. And, um, and she was getting really shaky. And we'd seen her a couple of years and she was back there. And I said, how, how are you doing? How are you managing this? And she talked about when she heard the diagnosis of MS. She said, I came home, and she said, I was the breadwinner in our family. And I had no, uh, this meant that I was not going to be able to work as a nurse anymore. And she said, I took out all my bills, and I laid them out on the ground, and I spread them before the Lord. I laid out my hands, and I said, okay, God, these are your responsibility now. Isn't that something? Laying out the bills and saying, this is your responsibility now. I, I trust you. And then she said, you know, the crazy thing is we're financially stronger as a family now than before I got MS, and I have no idea how, but we are. God took care of us. And then she talked about going into a, um, uh, she said she lost her ability to read. She couldn't see for a while. And she said, I, I was thinking of putting a, a sign on my back, um, I, I'm not drunk, her balance is overrated. You know, she's just, she's, uh, but we, one time she went in for treatment, and there was another lady with her. She was taking IV steroids that were very harsh on her body. And she came in so happy because she just found out what was wrong, and now she knew how to treat it. And the other lady, she said, was mean, angry, and bitter, ugly to people. And uh, when they walked out, Arnie said, well, we've just seen MS with Jesus and MS without. 
angry, bitter, hard, ugly, and then his wife, who was happy that she finally knew how to get this treated. And it was uh, that, that week that, that I watched her. I was just amazed. Isn't someone with faith, isn't it beautiful? It's just beautiful. Like, it shines through the difficulty. It, it pierces through the suffering. And there's this sense of peace and rest. And when we go into that fear frenzy, it's an ugly thing, right? How are we going to pay the bill? And what I, what I saw in Denise was, was just this rest in the Lord, which is, is something that's so beautiful. She wasn't giving in to fear, was not giving in to fear. It's beautiful when people believe. Well, here's the, the last one, justified retreat. Verse 10, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And let's choose another leader and go back to Egypt. We should choose another leader and go back to Egypt. And, and there's this sense of we're going in a direction and we feel justified in turning around and going back. God's calling us to do something. And, well, it just got too difficult. And now I can, I can turn and, and go back. But we know that there's, there's no excuse for rebellion, right? No excuse. And also we have no idea how our faith may not even in our lifetime open the door for God's blessing if we just keep going. When we started serving in Czech, we were in this little church. I told you about that church with Martin as pastor. And uh, Connie started taking Czech lessons from a lady named Pani, Pani Lageto, Lagetova. And uh, Pani means Mrs. And then as time went on, she began to hear her story. And uh, she had, uh, uh, during the revolution, when the communists took over, her dad was in parliament, in the Czech parliament, and uh, was the first person to be killed by the communists. And they killed him by throwing him out of a window of a Czech high-rise, and then saying he'd committed suicide. So that's how, that's how her dad was killed. She came home and found out, my dad's been thrown out of a window. Her dad was in parliament. And then they told her, you've been kicked out of school. She was in college. But because of her association with her dad's politics, he was not a communist, she then was kicked out of school and couldn't continue. So she starts just wandering the streets of Prague in desperation. She's lost her father. Uh, the communists are taking over. She can't continue in her university education. And passes by a, a, a street preacher who was just standing on a street corner telling people about Jesus. And she keeps passing by him several days. He's bugging her like crazy, just the fact that he's saying this. But one day she stops and she says, tell me what you're, what you're talking about. And he leads her to the Lord. And she gets involved in this Bible study. But she is destitute. No, she can't continue in her education. Her dad has, has died. She finds the only job she can get is in a library because uh, people who had, well, now she's a Christian and has, is politically blackmailed. So she's got a double hit against her. Uh, no one like that could be in charge of any people. So she worked in a library because then she was just working with books. And in that library, taught herself English and by herself finished her education just in this library working on her own. So she was teaching Connie Czech in English that she learned out of these, these books. And then went through the rest of her life with, with just lots of suffering and pain. And what was so amazing was, I remember after she told her story, I said, I said, wow, what do you think looking back on that? She says, I am so thankful to God that my dad died and that we went through that crisis. I said, why is that? She said, that's the only way I could have come to faith in Christ. And I know I have an eternity with him because of, uh, because of, of 
of that, which is crazy, isn't that? Um, you go through something that that hard, and she still is pointed in the right direction. Well, what I found out a little bit later on was Martin, the pastor, was her son, and our whole church was there because she had been faithful to God, and and we were there in that church because she'd been faithful to God. And there was a, another man who, uh, he, he, was, he was in that youth group of five. I told you a little bit about that youth group of five. He was 70 years old and was in the youth group. And uh, when I asked him why, he said, because I'm single and I think I belong with the other singles. Uh, but I also found out that he had, a, he had an incredible heart for young people because he had been a high school teacher. And when the communists came in, they said, renounce your faith or we'll send you to the mines. And he said, I can't renounce my faith. So he worked the next 40 years in uranium mines, which broke his health. And uh, because of his faith in God, and then he, he retired from the uranium mine, donated his house, and our church was actually built from his house. They couldn't build a church, but they rebuilt his house and only saved one corner of it, and it became our church building. So the building we were meeting in was because of this man's faithfulness to God. And uh, as you can imagine how excited he was when, we, when I started teaching in the, in the school and we started doing evangelism. He started seeing young people fill up. And he was a prayer warrior. He would pray and pray and pray for us. And one day after church, he came up to me. Just a godly man. And he said, Dave, I've, I've been praying for you this weekend. He said, God showed me a picture. He said, he said, there's just some small things going on in this church right now. But it, he said, he gave me a picture. It's like a pebble dropping into water and the ripples go out. But the farther the ripples go, the bigger they get. And he said, I saw these huge waves of God's work coming out from this small pebble of what he's doing in our church right now. Well, that was right before that first English camp that you saw a video of that has turned into 1,200 English camps with 70,000 people. And uh, just about a year after that, Brother Briger went home, and he never saw any of that. But, you know, I wonder if the whole reason we were in that town and in that church and maybe even in the Czech Republic was because of people of faith like Brother Briger and like Bonnie Legatova. So sometimes people stand in faith and they just don't give up, right? They just keep pointed in the same direction and they just don't give up. And what happens is their faith opens the door for something sometimes even in the next generation. So this is what Caleb said. He says, I'm just not going to give up. I'm going to just keep. And what's crazy is 40 years later, Caleb's still going, give me that mountain, right? I'm not giving up. Spent 40 years wandering in the desert. I still believe. I still believe the promises of God. And there have been times in these last 23 years where, where people have asked us, and when we've had kids who are sick or, or difficulties, they said, you know, why don't you just go home? I said, I, I, I don't care if I die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die pointed the right direction, right? I'm going to die pointed the right direction. I want to die as a man of faith because I know God honors faith. And maybe the fact that I died pointing the right direction means that the next people will take the land, right? But that's, that's the kind of commitment that Caleb has. He says, I am going to believe. I will not turn back. I will not rebel. I won't stop. And as you go on, you find that this, in verse 14, verse 24, he says, uh, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants uh, will inherit. 
And here's the thing we've got to remember this. You have no idea what, what a difference it makes to have a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. And his different spirit was basically he believed. And he just wouldn't stop believing. He didn't let butt theology stop him. He didn't justify retreat. He didn't take on the gods. He just says, I'm going to keep. And, and he did that in contrast to a whole nation that was not believing. And it is so important that you and I have a different spirit. The word we just say, I don't, I don't care if everyone around us is, is not walking a life of faith. I'm going to believe. I'm, no matter what I feel, no matter what I see, I will count the promises of God as yes and act on those. I will just continue to, to say what God says is true. I'm going to live by it. I believe him. I believe him. Even if I've got MS or even if my dad gets pushed out of the window or even if I go to the uranium mines for 40 years, I will believe. That's the kind of different spirit that God blesses. And that difference, you have no idea how important it is to be different because not being different meant that you perished in the desert and that you missed the promised land. So I want to be like Caleb. I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Dushan. I want to be like Denise. I want to be like Brother Biger. I want to be like Pani Legatova. I want to be a man of faith. And I know that's what you guys want to be too. Why don't we just, just uh, finish and finish just by some prayer. I want you to get in a group of, of four people and just pray. Just pray that you won't fail in faith. Pray about faith. Pray that God will continue to give you the strength to believe him and to, believe, to have a different spirit like Caleb. And then when you're done praying, we'll take a break and get some coffee.